This is like the third or fourth good morning we've done. Good morning. Let's make it five. So, okay, good. Uh, my name is Derek, and I'm the pastor here. So if you're new with us, that's who, uh, that's who I am. I hear today is Easter. Is this true? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, well, we'll just get started. What do you think? Yeah, yeah just unplug it. All right. Uh, so it is Easter. So let me just bring you up to speed here. Uh, as I've said before, it just it fell on a Sunday this year, so here we are. And um, so, thank you. You're the, you and me. They don't laugh. They don't laugh at me. Yeah. So, brilliant. Um, are you guys ready? I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, it was in the papers last week, but um, this church in Laguna Beach, California called Crossline Community Church, they had their Easter egg hunt, their annual egg hunt. And the, they decided that they would hire um, like a parachuting Easter bunny. Did you see this story? It's kind of like the flying Elvises, but, you know, the, except it's the Easter bunny. And that was a honeymoon in Vegas joke that nobody got. But um, the best soundtrack ever. Um, but anyway, so they had this Easter egg hunt. And they were like, we'll fly the Easter bunny into the egg hunt. Pretty incredible. We just had some egg hunts around the city uh, this past weekend, and nothing like this happened. And, um, and so I was reading the story, and the executive pastor, this is what he said. He said, we just had to have the skydiving Easter bunny. Like, we had to have that. And, um, and then he said, think about how fun it is going to be to see the kids when the Easter bunny comes, you know, paratrooping in to the, to the airplane, which reminded me of uh, this episode of South Park where Stan said— Look, I'm just saying that somewhere between Jesus dying on the cross and the giant bunny hiding eggs, there seems to be a gap of information. (laughs) Amen? I just had to get that quote in here. Like, it's amazing. Because here's the thing, when when you start talking about resurrection, like in the Easter story and what we sort of do now, there really is a lot of space and static uh, between the two. And there is a gap in the information. And here's what I want you to think about for just a moment. Like, if we're honest about this, the resurrection, I mean, forget how cool that sounds. It really is sort of confusing. And it's a mystery uh, for most of us, for all of us, really, if we're honest. Uh, And with that, there are some questions that just are out there. Like, if it's true... Not only is that a really cool thing, right? But if it's true, um, why was it necessary in the first place? And maybe you've never asked that question before, or maybe you have asked that question. Maybe, maybe if you've thought about this whole resurrection story enough, at least once or twice, what comes up in your mind is, why did he have to do that? Like, what, what is that really all about? Like, apart from being a miracle, what does someone coming back from the dead have to do with anything, is, and this is really the question I want to use to get us into our story today, is the resurrection just about life after death, or is there something else going on? And certainly life after death, like if Jesus comes back from the dead, then okay, cool, we can put some hope in our own death and life after death. But is that all that it's about? Is it just about life after death, or is there something else that's going on? And here, and I kind of want to explore that question today. Uh, You probably know the answer, but there is more to it than just life after death. To quote N.T. Wright, heaven is somewhat overrated 
it's awesome, but it's somewhat overrated for, for the church because we just sort of focus on that completely and not the life before life after death. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit with this incredible story of Jesus at a funeral. And I think it's, pretty, um, it's a pretty extraordinary uh, story recorded by his friend John, a close disciple of his and who was there to experience and see this, and we have it uh, in our Bibles today. Let me pray, and then we'll get right into it, okay? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this day. And God, we, alongside every community of faith in this city and around the world, we, we're looking at um, perhaps the same scriptures or at least the same, uh, the same idea, the same hope, that not only, um, not only do you love us, but you provide for us a life that, that goes beyond this one. And so we pray as we look through this today that whatever questions we have, whatever uh, wrestlings there are uh, in our hearts, that you'll just encourage us and that you'll teach us something new today. And it's in your name we pray and everyone said, amen. So I want to show you uh, this on the screen. It says, Jesus said to her, and her is Martha, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So this is kind of the big statement at the beginning. And then he breaks it down a little bit saying, those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, again, the big statement is, I am the resurrection and the life. And the rest is just this sort of explanation of that. Like, in other words, if you live in me, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, if you get this and and grab onto it, then even though you die, you live. And you'll never die. You'll live. And it's just sort of incredible, extraordinary statement. And the point that Jesus is making is that there is a life, a kind of life that goes on. There is a, even after death, that somehow death is, although very inconvenient, it's just in the way. It's in the way of the life God has planned for people. And that it can be overcome somehow, that, that somehow death doesn't have the last word in our life story. That it's just really a transitional phrase in the whole story. And that there is something else or something more, something like a renewal that takes place, that happens, and that death isn't the end. And whether you're a Christian or not, that's the thing we all hope is true. Amen? Like that's, resurrection isn't just a Christian hope, it's the hope of every human being. And that's a claim, if we're listening to Jesus say this, I'm the resurrection of life, and if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live, you will never die, etc., etc. That's something that we all hope is, is true, regardless of what you believe. But I want to back up and take a look at what Jesus was saying in the setting he was saying it in. Like, who was he saying this to? Why was he saying this? And what was he thinking when he said this? And it really starts here in verse 3 of the story. Jesus gets this message from an unknown messenger, and it says, Lord, the one whom you love is what? Ill. Now, we know the story. This one whom Jesus loves is dead. But they bring him this message, the one whom you love is ill. And so this is the story of a friend of Jesus's named Lazarus, who has two sisters named Mary and Martha. And they live in this town about two miles outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And Jesus spent some time there. In fact, he was very close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the words of the messenger to Jesus are very clear. This is someone that Jesus loved. And there are four words in the Greek language for love. And this one uh, happens to be the word phileo which is this deep-seated, fraternal, blood brother kind of love. 
This is a friendship kind of thing that all of us understand. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Lazarus. He never speaks in Scripture. There's no record of anything that he ever said or even did. There are no stories of him and Jesus hanging out, having a beer, talking about things. We don't have any indication of what they did in their, uh, in their relational time. However, what we do know is that this is someone that Jesus loved. There's a deep uh, friendship here. And so Jesus gets this message that your friend is ill. Now, what's extraordinary is, and we're not going to, there's a gap here, but I'll just sort of fill it in real quick. What's extraordinary is that Jesus doesn't do anything with the information. He doesn't respond to it. He hears it, and then he just goes on. He doesn't do anything for like two days. The one whom you love is ill. And it's almost, he's like, okay. And then he and his disciples just sort of sit there for two days. And then he tells his disciples, hey, let's go. We're going to go see our friend Lazarus. And what I find funny is Jesus says he is asleep. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Well, his disciples, and they're brilliant, they say, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up, right? And then Jesus says, okay, never mind. He's dead. Like, I'm just trying to code this for you. He's not alive anymore. And so they make the trip to Bethany. And I want you to see the next part of the story. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Now, that is dead. I want you to let that sink in. I mean, why does John care to tell us it's been four days? If someone's been in the tomb for four days, no doubt. All doubt is removed. This person is dead, and that's not going to change. Four days. The one whom you love, by the way, be late to his funeral. Four days. Now, I want you to know something. Is that Jesus actually, although he arrived on the fourth day, he wasn't late. See, a typical Jewish funeral lasted a week, seven days. And uh, it's this seven-day mourning period called Shiva, during which all the family, all the friends, if you were wealthy, you could hire people to come in and cry. It's interesting. And you just sort of sat around and remembered the deceased, right? So you sat in the seven-day mourning period where you remembered and talked about, you know, we do funerals in and out, one hour, very different situation here. It's a week-long sort of celebration of a life, but also this period, this deep period of mourning. And Jesus shows up on the fourth day, which is just over the halfway mark of that funeral time, right about the time, this is what I want you to catch today, right about the time that it started to sink in for Mary and Martha that Lazarus is gone. Not that they don't think that already. I mean, we know that, but you've been to funerals, you've lost loved ones. It takes a few days for you to sort of start everything recalibrating in your head, and you start to really accept that they're gone. It takes a few days. You're on adrenaline during, you know, all the funeral preparations and getting through all of that, but it takes a few days for you to finally sit still long enough and say, okay, the life is gone. And this is when Jesus shows up. Like, it's pretty clear, four days in the tomb, this is over. There's no reversal possible here, and death is becoming very, very familiar for Mary and Martha. And it's at that moment, John says, that as Martha goes and meets Jesus, that he says those words about being the resurrection of the life. And it's at a funeral that Jesus whispered these kind of subversive, unscientific claims about death being weaker than life. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals 
more than I can count. I've been in hospital rooms where uh, people are dying. I've been in the homes of families where they've lost loved ones, children. And in all of my ministerial experience over the last 20 years, in every class I ever took about this, the one thing that you have to watch, the one thing they tell you is, look, when you're in those situations, don't say anything stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't say it's going to be okay. Don't say that. I mean, there's a do not resuscitate wristband. It's not going to be okay. It's, it's not, it's not going to end well. So don't make yourself look stupid and say things like, like Jesus said. <laughs> it's all good. It's going to be good. Even though he dies, he lives. What? Four days, Jesus. Four days. And this is the situation in which Jesus speaks these words. Like, it's over the hill of the seven-day mourning period. It's over. And I think about funerals like they're strange because a funeral, if there's one thing that a funeral does, it levels the playing field for every walk of life. Like no matter what the differences are among everyone there, whatever the varied lives are that fill the room at a funeral, every single person, regardless of who they are, is looking straight ahead into their very future. Period. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've accomplished in life. It doesn't matter if you're smart or if you struggle intellectually. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of friends or no friends. Every road in life that all individuals take leads to the same end, right? That no one here gets out alive, to quote Jim Morrison. Period. There's no getting around that. And when we're there, when we're experiencing someone else's end, we struggle to find hope that the end is not really the end. That there's more to come, that we can go beyond this life somehow, that resurrection would be true. And as I said at the beginning, that's not just a Christian hope. That's shared by every human being, period. And as Martha greeted Jesus four days into her brother's funeral, hope was fading. And I don't know what Jesus thought that Martha needed to hear in those moments, but he chose to say something about himself. I want you to see it again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. Now, there is the promise in these words of life after death. Like, that's there, and I don't think you should leave here without hearing that today. I don't think you should leave here not hearing that Jesus has promised that there's there's more to come. Like, it's not just over when we stop breathing. So that promise is in his words. And there's also this foreshadowing of his own life, that Jesus will die, really in a matter of days, and will rise again, though Martha and everyone else didn't, didn't know that. That's not what they're thinking. And so those things are true. There's a promise of life after death, there's this foreshadowing of what Jesus will go through himself. But then there's something else in here too, and I want you to really recognize this and stare at the Scripture and really hear this today because the other thing that Jesus is saying, and it may be the most important thing today, he's saying that, that the resurrection is not just something that happens, but the resurrection is a person. He says, I am the resurrection 
And that's kind of a mind trip, like I don't know what he's talking about, but Jesus is just saying, I am resurrection. When you think of resurrection, that's me. Jesus is resurrection. Now, the story of Lazarus ends really well. Like, he brings Lazarus back from the dead. It's a pretty cool ending, right? You know, he yells, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and everyone freaks out and runs. Like, everybody thinks that Jesus was the first resurrection, but he wasn't. Jesus raised people from the dead all the time. And so, you know, the story ends really well. Like, four days into the funeral, he brings Lazarus back. That's how it ends. It's remarkable. It's miraculous, obviously. And Jesus was the person who did that. But when Jesus said, I am the resurrection, it's not just about something that he can do or perform, but it's about who he is. Like, Jesus is resurrection. This is what Jesus is. He is resurrection. In other words, this is what we get out of the relationship with him. This ongoing participation and experience in renewal. Like to be a follower of Christ means that you and I cannot help but experience and witness ongoing renewal in our own lives and in the world around us. Like that's what we get to experience. Like resurrection isn't just something to believe in, like something that happens after you die, but it's a person which means it's, this is what we get out of the relationship. It's what Jesus brings to the table. When we trust him, as he's asked us to do, with everything in our lives, what we get is resurrection, both after life but also now. And if you read through the and I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, so I'll just assume you don't know anything, but um, that sounds arrogant. I don't really think that. But, um, but sometimes I do laugh when you give Bible answers, but whatever. You laugh at me when I try to build things and stuff. So, um, that was funny. That was funny, right? That's okay. Um, I'm just kidding. But let me just sort of assume you don't read the gospel stories and you don't know much about Jesus uh, and his life and his teachings. Let me just assume that so we're all on the same page here. If you read through that, you can't help but see that resurrection is all he is. Like to follow Jesus around through the writings of the scriptures, if you do that long enough— You will see this happen all the time. Jesus was constantly bringing resurrection to the lives of people, constantly bringing restoration, constantly renewing people. He healed the sick, right? Don't blow past that. If you're sick in the ancient world, something's wrong with you. The gods are angry with you. You've sinned too much. If you're blind, your parents did something bad or you did something bad. If you can't get pregnant, God must hate you, right? This is what people thought. And if the gods are angry with you, or if God is angry with you, then you're sort of ostracized from the community. You're not really connected anymore. If you're sick, you're pushed away. And Jesus healed them. So it's not just about, oh, cool, we can walk again. He's restored back to the community. He's restored back to his life, back to his family, back to his friends, back into the normal day-to-day routine, whereas before he wasn't. Jesus healed the sick. That's not just, wow, his arm works again. That's that he can now participate in life again. That Jesus was bringing renewal into the lives of people. Think about the leper that he healed. There's a story of Jesus healing a leper outside the city. That's a key phrase. Why is it outside the city? Because that's where they put lepers, outside the city. You can't be in the city. The city is a clean place. You have to be out there with the diseased. 
And Jesus is making his way from one town to the next, and he runs into this leper, and the leper runs up to him and says, hey, can you just take care of this problem? Perhaps he hadn't seen his wife in years or his kids. He doesn't know what they look like anymore. He gets food delivered to him, left on a rock. Who knows? And he lives outside the city, and he finds Jesus in transit and says, will you heal me? And Jesus does. And you know, Jesus touches him. You don't touch a leper. You don't do that. And then the writer of that story, who was there witnessing it, said, essentially, that man, the leper, was healed and renewed and went back into the city. And then he says this, that Jesus could no longer go into that town. Why? Because he's touched a leper. He's at risk. Jesus traded places with the leper, took on the disease, so to speak, so that he could be renewed and returned back to his city. And then Jesus was left wandering as an outcast. It's not just that he made people well. He gave them their life back at the expense of his own. Jesus associated with outsiders. You name it, he just didn't mind being around these people. If you read through the stories long enough, you'll keep seeing that Jesus continually hangs out with outsiders. He loved the abandoned. Anyone who was abandoned, like he just, he loved them. He loved being with them. He elevated women to a status far beyond what their culture allowed. Restoration. Renewal. Jesus played with kids. Nobody played with kids, and kids just played with rocks. Nobody played with kids back then. The disciples are trying to push the kids away, and Jesus is like, no, 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 let the kids. Let's play with the kids. Kids are fun. Right? Again, he touched the diseased. Every person who lived apart from acceptance and care, Jesus accepted and cared for. Continually restoring people to life. It's as if he was saying, resurrection is who I am. It's what I'm bringing to the relationship. I restore and rebuild things in people's lives, which I find very fitting that a carpenter's son would be such a Messiah. That he's into renovation. And so when Jesus looks at Martha and says, I'm the resurrection and the life, it's not just about life after death, but it is very much about the life we live before the life after death. And when Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, he was exposing what a relationship with him is truly about. It's about renewal, restoration, ongoing and continual. And to trust him and to follow him is to expect resurrection to happen in our lives, both after we die, for sure, but also here and now, day to day, as Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Like that's the prayer that what God does is happening now, not just later. If you're a Christian and the extent of your relationship with Christ, Christ is all about the afterlife, it effectively disconnects you from a day-to-day walk with Christ. If it's just about what happens when you die, it's very easy to forsake what needs to happen while we're alive. And I just love that Jesus shows up on the fourth day of a funeral. And Martha and her sister Mary were dealing with the loss of their brother. At day four, it's over. It's truly over. 
acceptance of the death, again, is setting in. There's no going back, only forward, and that will be very, very difficult. And Jesus knew that, right? And it's always hard to go forward. He knows that. And it was in those moments that Jesus chose not to say to her, hey, listen, stop crying. It's embarrassing. I'm going to raise him from the dead in a minute, so just, just chill. It's not what he said. He said something much bigger. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's almost as if he knew that even though he would bring Lazarus back from the dead in a matter of moments, of course Lazarus will die again. Right? Lazarus didn't come back and he's still running around somewhere. He died again. He died twice. He knew that. And so for Jesus, and please catch this because I want you to sort of picture this happening. It was more important for him to look at Martha and teach her what it means to experience resurrection daily. It's as if Jesus was saying to her, look, I'll fix this situation and I'm going to heal your temporal pain. But in the long run, what you need most and what you need to know most and believe most is that I bring life and renewal and resurrection to people's lives every day because that's, that's who I am. So it's almost like the scene tightens in on Jesus and Martha, and it, it feels like an aside. This is not the thing you say when Martha comes up to you and says, man, if you'd have been here, it would be okay. And Jesus doesn't say, you're right, I'm late, I'm sorry, it's day four, my bad. He looks at her and says, look, I'm going to heal your brother, but I need you to know something that it's not about death or life. It's about me and that I am resurrection. And that if you live in me, he says, that even though you die, you will live. That death somehow gets pushed aside. And this relationship with me is all about resurrection day in and day out. I'll heal your brother. It's cool. He's going to come back out. We're going to celebrate. Some people are going to freak out. And it's going to be amazing. But he'll die again. He'll die again. And so what I need you to know and to understand is that resurrection starts now. Put your hope in that now. Four days into the funeral, Jesus says those words. And I think Jesus comes to us in the fourth day of our lives. When we've resigned to the notion that there is no going back and that all hope is gone, And he whispers to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus comes to you on your fourth day when everybody you know has written you off as unretrievable, unsalvageable, or dead. You're not worth the effort anymore. And Jesus whispers to you, I am the resurrection. He comes to you in the fourth day of your life when you've just started to say, you know what? It's who I am. Who I am is who I am. This is just what I become. It's not going to change tomorrow. It's simply going to be another repeat of today. It's another day in a life that I never really wanted. And who cares? And he whispers, no. I'm the resurrection and the life. He comes to you on the fourth day. When you've finally thrown your hands in the air and you've just given up a fight against some personal behavior that's really destructive spiritually, emotionally, physically, or all three, and you've just said, you know, just like the other, the other situation, it's just who I am now. Forget it. 
It's just what I'm going to do. And you feel weak and you feel guilty, and Jesus whispers on the resurrection and the life. It comes to you on the fourth day when doubt has finally pulled ahead of faith. And you just really can't find the strength to believe any of this anymore. And he whispers in the resurrection and the life. Because see, in death, and I mean that metaphorically because we're all still breathing, but we walk through valleys of death, dark hours, dark seasons, and it's in death that resurrection even has a chance. That resurrection gets its first pulse in the valley of death because that's where resurrection begins. It's from death, not life, that resurrection comes. It's when we have finally gotten to the point where we accept that we're dead without Him. And as the church, as a resurrection people, so to speak, the church has no choice but to lead the way in loving the forgotten, the oppressed, the avoided, the damned, the overlooked, the left behind, precisely because we are called to believe that God brings dead things back to life, both here and now and after we die. There is a life before life after death. And Jesus is trying to explain that to Martha, and he is explaining that to us, that I'm the resurrection and the life, and if you put your trust in me now, you will live, even though you will die. And I love the last thing he says to Martha. He looks at her and he just says, do you believe this? Isn't that great? I mean, again, this is an isolated, we're at a funeral She's struggling. He teaches her something about resurrection here and now before he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And he just looks at her and says, do you believe that? It's not a test. If she said no, it doesn't mean she doesn't raise Lazarus from the dead. It's not like, oh, sorry, too late. Some call me Tim. But the, it's just, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? To believe, this word believe And the New Testament is not just about facts and figures. It is about, can you lean on this? Can you put the full weight of your life on what I just said? That's what that means. Not, okay, cool, I got it, I get it. But can you lean on that? Can you trust that? Do you believe this? And I'll just leave you with that question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus can do what he said he can do? which is to renovate and restore and renew your life now, but also later. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. As we take communion, uh, I'll set this up if you're new with us. It is Easter, and many churches take communion on Easter. We celebrate it uh, every Sunday, so it's nothing new for many of us. But if you're new with us, um, we just put some tables on the side walls, two in the front, two in the back. Uh, I'll pray, and you can at your own time, at your own pace, go uh, to one of the tables and get some bread uh, and the juice. You can take it back at your chair. You can take it at the table. It doesn't matter to us. Uh, Whatever you would like to do is fine. And um, our prayer for you in these moments is that you uh, see the bread and the juice as a physical reminder uh, of the life of Christ, of his death for us, the hope of his return. In tradition, we say 
you know, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And so we'll just leave those words on the screen uh, as you take uh, a few moments uh, to do so. Also, the offering buckets are on the tables as well. If you've come prepared to give, then you can do that uh, at this time. Let me pray for you in our time together for the next few minutes, and then after communion, we'll sing uh, a few songs. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for um, this story. Thank you for coming here um, in, the, in the person of your Son, Jesus. Thank you for Thank you for the love and the grace to die for us. And God, that question about is it really that important that you come back from the dead? Like what, other than just a really amazing happening, what is that about? And God, we just thank you that it does give us hope for life after death. It does give us hope that you have power over the grave but God, that there's more to it than that. That you're trying to restore us now, that you're trying to um, help us to become the people that you've always wanted us to be. And so God, I pray for those in the room today that came in uh, just beat up, that came in feeling forgotten and avoided, washed up. I pray for those in the room who feel like they're just at day four, where it just is what it is, and you, they just got to live with it. That you just ignite this contrary spirit in their heart saying, no way. We don't leave things there that we, we experience renewal in you. And so I just pray, God, that you use these next few moments as we take the bread, as we take the juice, this reminder of your life and death and resurrection. Be with us over the next few moments. Encourage us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.